Well, we are work, working our way slowly but surely through the gospel according to John. Uh, John is one of the four gospels. It is the, uh, the other three are called the synoptic gospels. Uh, John is a little bit unique in that uh, he rearranges the material in a slightly different way, but his goal, as is the goal of the other gospel writers, is to show us the beauty of Jesus, that we might see the glory of God's Son, and so be enlightened and encouraged by him as we learn about who he is and what he has called us to do. So we're going to give our attention to the reading of God's word this morning, John 1, verses 35 through 51. John 1, verses 35 through 51. The next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and he said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We had found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer. O oh Lord, our God, we are amazed at the beauty of your word. We are amazed at who you are, Lord Jesus, and what you've come to do. We pray, Lord, that you would show us the glory of your heavenly Father. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we might be equipped able to do the work that you are calling us to do in our families, in our homes, at our workplaces, in this community, and even, Lord God, if called upon to do so, 
to the farthest edges of the world. We know that this is impossible in our own strength, but we believe that all things are possible through your strength. And so give us that strength. Give us faith to believe. We ask that you would show us your glory, Lord Jesus, for it is in your name we pray. Amen. If you're a parent or a grandparent or really an aunt and uncle, anyone who loves kids, there's nothing more exciting than seeing a little kid take their very, very first steps. This week I was reading a story told by Pastor Matt Chandler in his book, The Explicit Gospel. He writes this, there's a magical thing that happens in homes all over the world. When you have a child, you want your child to crawl, and then you want your child to walk. My first child, Audrey, pulled herself to the coffee table. When she got to the coffee table, she began to bounce on her knees and then began to coast along. From there, she started letting go and and being wobbly. At that point, we began to get excited about the fact that Audrey was about to walk. Eventually, she took her hands off the coffee table, and we watched physics in motion. God has created children, specifically young children, with gargantuan heads and little tiny bodies. So when Audrey let go of the coffee table, her gigantic head fell forward, and suddenly she had a decision to make. She could stick that foot out to catch herself or she could die. So she stuck her foot out, and then she had momentum. It was step, 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 fall. Do you know what we did? We exploded in celebration. We picked her up, we spun her around, and kissed her face, and then we sat her down, and we pleaded with her to walk toward us again. After that, we began emailing and Facebooking and taking pictures and tweeting and all sorts of other things to get the word out that Audrey was walking. For all the people who I've watched go through this process, I have never seen anybody watch their little kid go step, step, fall and say out loud, man, this kid is an idiot. Are you serious? Just three steps? Man, I could teach the dog to walk two or three steps. Honey, this must be from your side of the family because my side of the family is full of walkers. This must be some sort of genetic shallow gene pool from your side of the family. No father does that. Every father rejoices in the steps of his child. I think what we have here, Chandler writes, is a picture of God celebrating us walking. So we step, 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 and fall, and heaven applauds. At what? At the obedience of taking those three steps. The Father in heaven is shouting, He's walking! She's doing it! And maybe the accuser, Satan, is saying, nah, he only took a couple of steps. That's nothing. Moralists see the fall and believe that the father is ashamed and thinks that they're foolish. 
So more often than not, they stop trying to walk because they can't see the father celebrating his child. This morning, we're going to talk about discipleship. We're going to talk about walking the walk as faithful followers of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? How do we become disciples? How did Jesus make disciples and and how do we make disciples? It's important to know for at least two reasons. Number one, we are all being discipled. We are all being trained to follow someone or something. Some of us are being discipled by Fox News. Some of us are being discipled by ESPN or the SEC Network. Some of us are being discipled by Instagram or YouTube. But we are all being discipled. Who's discipling you? Is it someone who wants to make you more and more like Jesus? Or is it someone who wants to make you less and less like Jesus? Is it someone who's going to burst into applause with every faithful step that you take in obedience towards Jesus? Or is it someone who's going to be your chief critic, who will criticize you and disparage you for every stumble and fall that you make? Number two, the church exists to make disciples. You remember, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he very famously said to his disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so, a Christian who doesn't know how to make disciples is a little bit like a cabinet maker who doesn't know how to make cabinets. Or a plumber who doesn't eat plums. It just doesn't make sense. Discipleship defines our identity. Discipleship defines our mission as Christians We are disciples of Jesus Christ, and as Christians, we are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so, if one of your goals for this new year, 2023, is to strengthen and deepen your relationship with Christ, or to help someone that you love deepen and strengthen their relationship with Christ, this passage is for you. It will show you who a disciple is. And what a disciple does. For the next two weeks, we're going to learn about discipleship from the Master, Jesus Christ. We're going to meet some of his first disciples, Andrew and Peter, Philip and Nathaniel, with a brief cameo from the Apostle John. He's probably the unnamed disciple mentioned in verses 35 through 40. In just three short years, these five men went from come and see to go and die. In just three short years, these five timid, unbelieving men became bold, faithful, courageous disciples of Jesus Christ. Jesus changed them, and through them, Jesus changed the world. They made disciples in urban cities. They made disciples in rural villages. They made disciples in prisons. They made disciples in palaces. How did they do it? 
how do we do it? And if it happened to them, can it happen to us? Can we grow? Can we change? When it comes to Jesus, most of us know how to talk the talk. But do we know how to walk the walk? Do we know how to run in the path of God's commandments, knowing that our Heavenly Father is cheering us on every step of the way because He loves us as much as He loves His own Son, Jesus Christ. We can, with God's help, we can and will become faithful followers of Jesus Christ how do we do it? Come and see. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. Over the next two weeks, I want us to think about nine principles for discipleship. Nine things that define who a disciple is and what a disciple does. This morning, we're ta- we'll tackle the first four. We'll have to come back next week for the next five. I talked to some of you already this morning who are here from out of town. You can watch online, or you can live the rest of your life in misery and confusion. (laughs) Really, the choice is up to you. But I thought it would be wise not to tackle all nine things, so we're breaking up a little bit into part one and part two. So, first, this week, we'll see that discipleship is about hearing. Hearing. Second, we'll see that discipleship is about following. Third, we'll see that discipleship is about thinking. And fourth, we'll see that discipleship is about bringing. So hearing, following, thinking, and bringing. Are you ready? Let's take a closer look. We begin with the first A big idea, which is this, that discipleship is about hearing. Now, this might be obvious to you, maybe it's not, but you cannot become a disciple of Jesus Christ until you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. John summarizes that gospel in verses 35 and 36. The next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, we talked about this at length last week, so I'll be brief. But essentially, John the Baptist is giving his disciples a five-word summary of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to summarize his five-word summary into just three words of my own. The first word is vicariously. Jesus came to live and die vicariously. He came to live as the perfect man, the second Adam, and he came to die as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to die on the cross in our place as our substitute. In the Passover story from the book of Exodus, we learn that God sent the angel of death to kill every firstborn in Egypt. With apologies to Della Reese, sometimes it is not a good thing to be touched by an angel. 
Israelites and Egyptians, Jews and Gentiles, every firstborn son in every family would die because of Pharaoh's stubborn refusal to let God's people go. Unless that family placed the blood of a lamb around the borders of their doorposts. Because God is gracious, because God is merciful, God allowed innocent lambs to die so that sinful people like us might live. John the Baptist is telling us in these five short words that that is essentially what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, died so that we might live. As the prophet Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before Jesus was even born, he was pierced for our transgressions. But that's not all. Our second word is voluntary. Jesus came to die voluntarily. Hundreds of years before he was born, the prophet Isaiah said that Jesus would be like a lamb who before his shearers was silent. In other words, Jesus wasn't dragged kicking and screaming to the cross. He wasn't brought there against his will. It was the fulfillment of God's will. He went to the cross voluntarily. He went to the cross joyfully. He went to the cross motivated by deep love for his enemies. For the very people who were crucifying him. For the very people who mocked him and scorned him and beat him and whipped him and placed a crown of thorns on his head. For the very people who were hurling insults at him, who abandoned him. For sinful people like us, no one has ever nor will ever love us as much as Jesus loves us. And this, my friends, is the love that you have been looking for your entire life. The Lamb of God who goes voluntarily to the cross, bearing our burdens, carrying our shame, forgiving our sins. Our third word is victoriously. Jesus came to die victoriously through his death and resurrection. Jesus has achieved total and complete victory over sin, over death, over the devil, over the demons, over tyranny, over villainy, over oppression, over violence, over injustice. The cosmic war that began in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit is over. The final victory has been won by the Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we witness the triumph of the Lamb. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you want to summarize the whole gospel in just one verse, one sentence, you could not do better than behold the Lamb of God. Amazing. As Christians, we become disciples by hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. Not by hearing the law, which condemns us, but by hearing the gospel, which sets us free. Not by hearing 
do this, but by being reminded that Jesus has done this for us that we might live. God wants everyone everywhere to hear the good news that Jesus Christ is the Lord of all and the Savior of everyone who believes. That's why we send some of our best and brightest members around the world to proclaim that gospel of Jesus Christ. We send our members to uh, Japan, Uganda, Colombia, England, Southeast Asia. We have a young lady who's heading to the Dominican Republic, young medical student who's going to serve on a medical mission there later this year. Incredible. Why do we do that? Why do we spend all of that time and all of that money? Why do we pray all of those prayers? Because of what Paul wrote in Romans 10, verse 17. So faith comes through hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Now, some of you might be thinking at this point, okay, step one, hearing. A disciple is a hearer. You have to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I already heard it a long time ago, so now I can move on to the next step in the discipleship process. I can move on to some more advanced topics about the end of the world and speaking in tongues and all these things that Christians have been debating about for thousands of years. I'm done. Well, not so fast. As Christian, we not only become disciples through hearing the gospel, we remain disciples by hearing the gospel. It's worth noting that John the Baptist preached essentially the same sermon to the same group of people two days in a row. Why? Busy week? Not enough time to write a new sermon? No. <laughs> Probably because those same disciples of John the Baptist needed to hear it at least two days in a row. Because hearing the gospel isn't a one-and-done event. It's a lifestyle. It's, it's, a, it's habitual. Why? Because we forget. We sin, we rebel, we fall down. And then God uses the gospel of his grace set upon our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit to pick us back up again. That's the way discipleship works. Now, with that being said, you can actually get better at hearing the gospel. Just like you can get better at appreciating music, the more you listen to the music of the gospel, the more nuances you begin to pick up. You'll start to apply the gospel to parts of your life and patterns and habits of sin that you maybe didn't even know existed before. Your good works will start to be motivated by gratitude rather than a sense of, of guilt. You'll, you'll read a hundred books about the gospel, each one different, each one highlighting a different facet of that great and glorious diamond of God's grace, and you will be deeply moved. That's part of what a disciple does. We learn to apply the gospel to ourselves more skillfully and others, hearing the same notes arranged into different songs and symphonies of grace. Have you heard it? Have you heard the good news of Jesus Christ? 
Discipleship is about hearing that life-shattering, world-changing gospel, behold the Lamb of God. Our second big idea is this. Discipleship is not only about hearing, it is about following. Verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, in this story, it literally means that the disciples went to Jesus' house. Now, obviously, we cannot do that because Jesus is in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. And so, following him must mean something different for us on this side of the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus Christ. What does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus? Well, I think it implies at least three things. Tenacity, mobility, and vulnerability. Following Jesus implies tenacity in the sense that a disciple is someone who's willing to go wherever Jesus goes and to stay wherever Jesus stays. We refuse to go home. We refuse to leave. We burn the ships. We're all in. There's no such thing as halfway discipleship. There are halfway disciples because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That's absolutely true. But discipleship is a commitment that we make. It requires dedication. It requires focus. It requires tenacity. In some of our discipleship groups that we do here at the church, we ask people to commit to the group for one year. In one of our sister churches up in Atlanta, they ask people to commit to discipleship groups for three years. These disciples were part of probably the greatest discipleship group of all time, and they committed for three years initially, and then they went on to commit their entire lives to be followers and disciples of Jesus Christ, and so do we. When Ruth followed her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel, she said this in Ruth 1.16, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Do you hear what she's saying? It sounds remarkable, but this is what all disciples say. I'm not going anywhere. Jesus, I will live for you. Jesus, I will die for you. I'm not going home. I'm not going to quit when things get hard. Whither thou goest, I will go. That's discipleship. Tenacity. Following Jesus also requires mobility. When you follow someone, you can't stay where you are. When you follow someone, you have to move. When the first disciples followed Jesus, they had to change their physical location. When we follow Jesus, we have to change our spiritual location. 
When we follow Jesus, we get some new friends, we get some new goals. When we follow Jesus, we go from point A, where we are, to point B, where Jesus is. Now, that can be hard sometimes. Sometimes you're finding yourself saying to God in your prayers, okay, God, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And God's going to say, we left the driveway 10 minutes ago. Will you relax? I got this. I'm driving the car. It's going to be okay. You don't have to lead. Just follow me wherever I'm going. That's where you should go. God is on the move. If you're a disciple, so are you. Buckle up. It's not always easy, but it sure is a lot of fun. Following Jesus also implies vulnerability. In this scene, in the sense that you can't hide from Jesus when you're following him. And these disciples who were first called by Jesus in John 1 followed Jesus basically 24 hours a day for three whole years. That means Jesus saw them at their very worst. He heard them arguing with each other. He noticed when they rolled their eyes. He heard them complain, loaves and fishes again. Why can't we just order pizza? Please, Jesus, again, why? And if we follow Jesus as a disciple, we can't hide either. Jesus absolutely sees our sin. If your Jesus lives in this building and you visit him once a week, like visiting your grandma at a nursing home, then it might be that you are not actually a disciple of Jesus Christ. You might be avoiding the kind of vulnerability and honesty that discipleship requires. There's a, a radical honesty that comes into your life when you become a disciple because you know that when it comes to Jesus, we're not fooling him at all. He knows us. He knows exactly who we are. And amazingly, he loves us anyway. To be a follower of Jesus is to be fully known and to be fully loved. Discipleship is about following tenacity, mobility, and vulnerability. All right, third big thing, third idea. Discipleship is about thinking. So if you're a disciple, Jesus is your rabbi. In other words, Jesus is your teacher. Verse 38, Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the, the tenth hour, that is about four o'clock in the afternoon. The very first disciples were seeking something. They wanted to know the truth. They wanted to know Jesus are you the Messiah? Jesus, are you the King? If so, what does that look like? What does it mean? What are the implications for us as followers of Jesus? And Jesus says, come and you will see. Come and your questions will be answered. In a world where some religi religious people don't allow anyone to ask questions, and other religious people don't allow anyone to come up with any answers, Jesus said, it's good to ask questions. 
come to me for answers. Disciples read the Bible. Disciples read books about the Bible. (laughs) Disciples listen to podcasts and disciples attend conferences. And disciples ask hard questions and go to Jesus for answers to those questions. Next week, we'll hear Nathaniel ask Philip a question about Jesus. He says, so you're telling me that you found the Messiah and he comes from Nazareth? That's actually a good question because if you read the Old Testament, there's nothing about Nazareth at all in the Old Testament. It is not mentioned one time. It's like if I stood up here and said, I found the the Messiah, the answer to all the prophecies in the Bible, and he's from Albuquerque. You would say, I'm pretty sure that's not in the Bible. My mind may have wandered a little bit during Ezekiel, but I think I would have remembered uh, Albuquerque. It's not there. It's a good question. What does Philip say? How dare you ask any questions about Jesus, you heathen? Uh, Simply accept what I am saying. No, he says, come and you will see. Come and you'll have answers. He'll answer your questions. Bring Jesus your questions. There are many answers in the Bible. And if you need some help, there are a lot of Bible experts out there who will help you Find the answers to your questions. One thing you'll see as you read in John 1 is the repeated use of words like witness and testimony and confession. Here are a few of them. Verse 7, John the Baptist came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Verse 15, John bore witness about him. Verse 19, and this is the testimony of of John. Verse 32, and John bore witness. In other words, what we're reading here isn't myth or legend. This is the testimony of people who were there. And so as disciples, John is calling us to think, to examine the evidence. Would all of these people who had nothing to gain and everything to lose, who were killed for saying that Jesus is God, who were tortured and beaten for saying that Jesus rose again from the dead, who lost their jobs, who were disowned by their families, would they make this up? Why would they make this up? What did they have to gain? Where did they go wrong? Were they all lying? Think, think. That's what a disciple does. Fourth big idea, last one, discipleship is about bringing. Now, in the first scene, Andrew brought his brother Peter. The second scene, Philip brought his friend Nathaniel. Now, there are exceptions, of course. You could become a Christian by reading a Bible in a hotel room. You could listen to a random sermon on the internet. But most of the time, discipleship happens one-on-one. Discipleship happens with family members. Discipleship happens with friends. Discipleship happens when someone that we know and love brings us to Jesus. I am a disciple of Jesus Christ because my parents brought me to Jesus. They brought me to church. They brought me to Sunday school. They brought me to Christian schools. They brought me to other Christians. They brought me to the living room on the couch and talked to me about who Jesus was and what Jesus did. Who brought you to Jesus? Was it a friend? 
a family member, a grandparent, teacher, I'd like to encourage you to do this. If, if that person is alive, just thank them. Write them a note. Send them a text message. Give them a call on the phone. Thank them for bringing you to Jesus. If they're here today, talk to them after the benediction and say, thank you for bringing me to Jesus. If that person has already died, they're already in heaven, go to God in prayer and thank God for the person who brought you to Jesus Thank God for your parents who brought you to Jesus. Thank God for your friends who brought you to Jesus. Thank God for the navigators who brought you to Jesus and the RUF pastors who brought you to Jesus and the youth pastors who brought you to Jesus and the music leaders who brought you to Jesus. The second question, very closely aligned with that, is this. Who are you going to bring to Jesus? Who can you bring to a worship service? In a couple of weeks, we're having a, a really cool event where uh, our friend Juliet, who's a former Broadway actress, is going to be presenting the gospel according to Ruth. It's incredible. Who can you bring? Who can you bring to a discipleship group? Who can you bring to your life group? Disciples are brought to Jesus. And disciples bring others to Jesus. Well, we'll stop there. Next week, we'll talk more about what happened to Peter. We'll see that Jesus gave him a brand new name. We'll talk about what Jesus meant when he said, hey, you're going to see angels who are essentially going up and down on a ladder on my head, which seems kind of weird, but it's actually really cool. For now, remember, discipleship is about hearing the gospel for the first time, for the 10,000th time. We need Jesus. We need the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's about following Jesus. Kind of hard sometimes, a little bit scary, but totally worth it. It's about thinking, examining the evidence, bringing our questions to the God of the gospel, and finding answers in the Bible, which is the Word of God. And it's about bringing. Hey, don't keep the good news to yourself. Tell somebody about Jesus. And more importantly, bring someone to Jesus. It's easy to talk the talk. It is a lot harder to walk the walk. But you can do it because God is at work within you. He loves you. And he's cheering you on every step of the way. Let's go to God in prayer. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for this high calling that we have to be your disciples. We thank you, Lord God, that we have heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, for those who have believed the gospel, that you would strengthen them. And for those who have yet to believe, that you would change their hearts of stone into hearts of flesh that beat for your glory, Lord God. I pray that you would show us all the beauty of holiness, that we might truly be changed in this new year, not for the sake of, of earning love that we hope to achieve, but with the full assurance that we have achieved all of the love of Jesus through your work for us. Hear our prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.